So there's a scene in Goodwill Hunting that always resonated with me on a very personal level. To give you some context, Will, played by Matt Damon, finally opens up to Sean, played by Robin Williams, and Sean makes the move to talk about his wife. Keep in mind, Sean is Will's therapist, and it's not a very common move for therapists to talk about their personal lives in a session because it's not about the therapist, it's about the client, and the client can give as much as they want to the therapist within legal reason, and it's not considered TMI, but for the therapist, that would be very much TMI. And usually there's got to be a certain reason or a point to the story, which thankfully for Will and us... This particular story definitely had a reason. My wife used to fight when she was nervous. He starts. He then goes on to talk in hilarious detail about his late wife's farting problem, to where it got so intense that her own farts would wake her up and Will bursts into a wheeze. In fact, if you look very closely, as a little movie trivia for you, you can actually watch the camera shake because the cameraman is laughing so hard. And Will doesn't do a laugh, he does a full-on wheeze. And that's when Sean recollects himself and says, She's been dead two years, and that's the shit I remember. Wonderful stuff, you know. Little things like that. Yeah, but those are the things I miss the most. The little idiosyncrasies that only I know about. That's what made her my wife. People call these things imperfections, but they're not. Oh, that's the good stuff. The best part of that entire thing, it was all improvised. And that's what made that monologue as powerful as it still is. And it was the first time in my adult life where, for just a very brief moment, I thought I didn't have to get everything right. Borealis Entertainment presents Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home, a podcast memoir by M.K. Lott. Chapter 9. Birthday of Rest Ever since I was seven years old, I always wanted to be a filmmaker. I had absolutely fallen in love with the idea of motion pictures ever since I saw the Tarzan cartoon in theaters back in 1999, and I spent all of my childhood announcing and declaring that I would make it big in the entertainment industry. And, of course, that bled into my college career where I would join the Entrepreneurship Center and study the logistics of business management so I could open up my own animation film studio in Salt Lake City. Right where Silicon Slopes would be with my neighbor being the one and only Adobe. It only took a semester for me to find a business mentor, a champion, if you will, to support me on my journey to make this dream a reality. He was the only one of the business school who really understood, let alone had any idea, what entertainment was like and what the process of opening up a film studio was all about. And if my memory serves me right, he had worked with the creators of Fortnite in the past. So I always felt reassured when I was in the same room as him. It was really the first time that I had someone that I could speak the same language with, who actually saw success in this world. Because many people I had met growing up who were in the entertainment industry weren't actually in the entertainment industry. They were aspiring to be in the entertainment industry. And we would show each other our work and give each other pats on the back while walking away and thinking, sheesh, maybe filmmaking isn't for everyone, but it's definitely for me. 
Then graduation came along, and by this point, and I wasn't as hell-bent on becoming the next Steven Spielberg as I had originally been on my first day of college. Hence, the hypnotherapy. But the network still stayed strong, and one fateful day in November, I got an email from the business mentor asking me for my cell phone number. I don't understand why he would need an email, because he has my number, but here you go. (laughs) And a few minutes later, my phone rang from an 801 number, and I picked up hesitantly. But long story short, it was the director of a film studio in Salt Lake City offering me a position in their sales and marketing department as per the recommendation of my business mentor. I said yes in record time. It wasn't a writing gig or a directing gig, but it was a start. And it was a start, I believed, in the right direction. Over the next year or so, my task was to sell online courses and the opportunity to produce commercials for local businesses. This manifested itself in the form of Google ad campaigns, traveling all over Northern Utah, as I discussed in chapter six of last year being an example, and discovering more about the world of small Utah business. And it was very apparent that this was not going to be given to me. My favorite example of this was staying up until two in the morning discussing with a prospect, the owner of a bar and their best friend slash security guard, what the price range of a commercial would look like. And specifically, and I remember this very fondly, the security friend said, "Uh uh-huh, great. What can you do for us for free? Well, I squeaked, I don't know about free, but approximately we would be looking at 13 grand to start. Oh, fuck you, she waved off. I could just record her talking on my phone and post it on YouTube. And genuinely, that sounds like a great option, I agreed. Which was my way of saying, fuck me, fuck you. One thing that I think is just as, if not more important than getting a sale is doing business with people you get along with. Because if you work with someone you don't get along with, suddenly money becomes more material than you suddenly thought it was. I'm just grateful we got this out of the way then compared to after a contract was signed. But time went by, more time than was needed, in any opinion, and no sales were coming in. No luck with marketing, no luck with prospects, and every Friday when we would have our meetings, I would have to justify it with something to the vein of, Nothing yet, but we're working on it. Campaigns are still going strong, ads are still going good. That gets really exhausting after 10 months for everyone in the conversation. Eventually, the doubt became inevitable, and I thought maybe I finally had the confirmation that the entertainment industry wasn't actually for me. And it didn't feel like that was being said to me. It felt like it was being said to my seven-year-old self, assuring me that mistakes were made all along the way up until my 20s. In fact, there was one meeting I had with one of the employees where the suspicions within the company, I think, came to light. Let me ask you something, he said. Do you like marketing? He had my position before I did, and he had a professional background in marketing, but he decided to give it up to work more on the creative side of things. Something I couldn't exactly boast as well as he could. All I had to my name were 
a philosophy degree, some idea of a sales funnel and some ads, and a passion for filmmaking at the time. But I told him, of course I liked marketing. If I did, I wouldn't have taken the job. But he nodded with his own ideas, and explained to me that they had sacrificed a lot to bring me on board, and hoped that that would serve as the fire I need to give them results. Instead, it just confirmed that it wasn't for me. And I continued to doubt my capabilities and be unsuccessful in giving them any sales. Out of the entire time, again, the 10 months I worked with them, I could confirm only three sales of their online course. And they were organic, which for those who don't speak marketing lingo, means the people who bought it didn't go through the ads. They just found it on their own accord, if not by accident. As my results were lacking, the rest of the company was producing their first film, which is honestly, honestly, all kinds of exciting for everyone on the team, including me, who got the updates firsthand in real time. But the more I heard the updates, the more I was reminded that I wasn't actually part of the team. And this is by no means anyone's fault. I'm not trying to jab or throw salt. I think from the outside looking in, it just seemed like the wrong fit at the wrong time. I had wanted to be in the entertainment industry, and in a lot of ways, I got what I wanted. That's also when I learned what be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it actually means. This felt like the universe saying, all right, here it is. It's what you wanted, right? And I thought it was. I think what I was asking for was a job in the industry and not the ability to do creative things and tell empowering stories like I actually wanted. And I regretted it. And that came about from my lack of experience in the field and not being able to give the company the sales it needed. I was getting such problematic ideas and thoughts coming to my head that I decided to consult another hypnotherapist, my grandmother. I explained to her my situation. We went through a session together where I was able to clear my mind the most it had been in a while. And at the end of the session, my grandmother's intuition kicked in and she said, I don't know why, but I think you need to say sayonara to the studio. I think deep down, I agreed with her. It wasn't as good of a fit as I had wanted it to be, but I couldn't leave. My business mentor got me this job. It's something I had wanted to do since I was a kid. I had learned this stuff in college. On paper, this was a dream job. But suddenly, it was more of a dream than a job. The next morning, promptly, I had gotten a call from my director. I think I was expecting the words, you're fired, but instead I got something else. Hey, he said. So, there was a miscalculation, and we ran out of payroll. The last paycheck we can guarantee you is going to be the one on Monday. And Monday was three days away. Keep in mind, there's a lot that goes into paying for an entire team of employees. Sales being one of them. I didn't get confirmation that it was because of my lack of sales, but that's where my mind went. I mean, where else would my mind go? I was their only salesman, their only marketer, and now their payroll's gone. And in the words of my grandfather, 
If it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. For the rest of the month, I went through my usual life thinking that I was so unfit for the job that I brought an entire company down, even if it was just a dozen or so regular people. The director assured me that they would find a way to pay everyone through credit cards and IOUs. And if I was in his shoes, I would have thought about the same thing. But as much as I would have loved to stick around to see the results, credit cards and IOUs don't pay rent. And if this happened because of me, why the hell would I stay and risk taking them back in the red? Or further in the red, God forbid. And I didn't realize the time of the year until I was grabbing some drinks with two of my buddies, which was very much needed. And we were starting to discuss age. Don't worry, I'll spin this back around. Even though I was 24, I was the oldest in the group, second only to one other person, which was odd because that had never happened before. But it naturally led to the question of when all of our birthdays were. One said September, another said October, and when it came around to me, I said, shocked, Sunday. I had been so caught up with my job that I forgot I was about to turn 25. My friends and I now joke about it, probably because it's over, but I and a couple of us went through what we would only coin a quarter-life crisis. It's not a mid-life crisis where suddenly half your life is over, but a quarter-life crisis is more along the lines of, I should be at a certain point in my life, and I'm not. I thought I was going to be somewhere by the time I was 25. Most people graduate college when they're 22. I was 24 when I got my degree, so I couldn't help but feel like I lost two years because I wasn't a good enough student to graduate on time. Friends my age were buying houses and getting married and having their first or second or even third kids, and I was such dog shit at my dream job that I put an entire company under. Impressive for all the wrong reasons. And then life stopped being fun. Video games stopped being fun. Alcohol stopped being fun. Ogden stopped being fun. Nights at the bar with my friends stopped being fun. And the closer my birthday came, the more I was reminded that I needed to get my life together. I had less than a week before I was at a quarter of a century. I didn't want to start not knowing what the hell I was doing or where the hell I was going. And it only got worse when my family would call and ask me how I wanted to celebrate. I said it nicer, obviously, but I kept saying something along the lines of, I can't focus on my birthday until I have my shit figured out. I couldn't do anything until I was in a position in my life where I could celebrate it until everything was perfect. For lack of a better idea, I had to work on getting things right. And according to my job, I couldn't do that. Where I was more of a liability than I had ever wanted to be. Nothing felt like it was adding up, and while I wasn't fired, I knew it was time to get rid of the dream and move on. The phone calls with the family started getting me to think, what do I want for my birthday? A new job? 
Well, that seems like the obvious answer, but if I was lousy at this job, what proof do I have that the next job would be better? And I started to think about how temporary jobs actually are. How temporary stability actually is. And I realized jobs will go away. Family will go away. Friends will go away. Money will go away. My health will go away over time. All I wanted for my birthday then was proof that I could always have something to look forward to, no matter my circumstance. And the first thing that came to mind was a sunrise. The sun will always rise as long as I do. And if that's the most consistent thing, then that's fine. I just want to know it's there. And on my 25th birthday, I wanted to witness it for myself. But I couldn't do it knowing that there was this dread towards my quote-unquote job lingering around. I knew it was time to call my boss and put in my two weeks. Despite what they had done, despite the favors that my business mentor pulled, despite it being a passion of mine since I was in the second grade, I had to give up the dream. I made a few rehearsals over the course of multiple days, and I finally called put on my two weeks notice the day before that birthday. Okay, he said professionally. He asked me what things would need to be improved in their company, and I listed whatever grievances I had, which was little to nothing, if anything. But thank God that it ended on good terms, and we ended the call with no torches lit or pitchforks sharpened. I noticed, as I put my phone down, my posture seemed a lot straighter, and my shoulders felt lighter. It was no cure for cancer by any means, but I thought that maybe I should have done that sooner. All the pressure and some of the guilt was gone in just a seconds-long phone call. Now all that was left was to get proof that I had something I could always look forward to. The sunrise was scheduled for about 5.15. For all I knew, the world didn't exist until 11, but I was going to figure it out and make it work. One of the nice things about not having a job is you don't have to worry about any obligations that you might normally have, so there would be no late night for me trying new marketing and sales plans, no hangouts, no exploring the bars, no stress for that matter, just going right the hell to bed. And I woke up with plenty of energy at a decent 4 a.m. Though I had a mission to go for, the serenity of the world was something I didn't always expose myself to very much. It was really wonderful, like I was getting some much-needed sleep. I got in my car, drove off to the top of a four-story parking garage I had access to. Once I was on the fourth floor, I got out, leaned against the ledge, and waited for the sun to creep through the clouds. I did not take the time to check the weather before I went out, and as I stood on top of the parking garage, I was met with nothing but a clear, smooth, silver sky, which on any other day, I would have loved. I love overcast days. I just wasn't looking for that right at that moment. I heard the engine of a small convertible drive by, pick someone up from the corner where Broovies used to call home, and I was left to my own devices. There were some seams in the sky that would light up and glow, but no sun. 
It didn't feel like a very long time, but I stood there, just me, for about 45 minutes. I was so new to the friend group at the time that nobody aside from the two guys and Doug knew that it was my birthday. My family was in the next state, and downtown Ogden didn't really come to life until about 7. But I didn't tell anybody what my plans were. Nobody knew I was here. Nobody was here. In some ways, it felt like I was the only person in the world. And I loved it. There wasn't anyone to disappoint or let down. No one that I felt like I had to step up for, no one who expected anything from me. It was a clean slate 25 years from the day I was born. And I guess this was another situation of be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. I got a day to myself on steroids. Finally, I looked down at my phone and saw it was 10 to 6. Well, appreciate what you have, I guess, I thought to myself. Knowing my pace and speed, I knew I would get to one of my favorite coffee shops just as they would, just as they would open up. And if the sunrise wouldn't show up, maybe some tea could cheer me up. I walked down to the junction, then to Washington, then back down to 25th for the shop. Now, on historic 25th sits a small little bench that's usually a mattress for the homeless, but it always stood out to me because it was completely veiled with stickers. Band stickers, startup stickers, stickers that people impulse bought and couldn't find room on their laptops for. And I heard this voice in my head. It sounded like my great-grandmother telling me to sit on the bench. I wanted to shrug it off. I really did. But it kept coming up more and more, over and over again. Sit on that bench. It didn't take very long, but I sat down and waited. I don't know what that was all about, but I guess it was nice to see the street from a new angle. Looked back up at the overcast sky, and as I cranked my head up, there was a slight rift in the clouds, allowing a sunbeam to shoot straight down where I was and give me some warmth as I closed my eyes. Then the rift seemed to stitch itself back up, and I didn't see the sun again for the rest of the day. It was something to think about, for sure, as I sipped on tea in the coffee shop. And I realized that's what made life worth going through. I don't want to immediately do a 180 and say, suddenly my life was so much better, but I thought this would be something worth sticking around for. Not the sunrise, per se, but instead the little idiosyncrasies that only I know about. It became a true testament of being weary where your mind goes. What you're focused on is what you find opportunities for or things of that nature being brought to you. It's what's fed into your subconscious and that translates into actions or things that may seem unexpected to you. Before that day, all I could think about was the job and it programmed my brain to bleed that insecurity and fear into almost every facet of my life. But once I found something to look forward to, suddenly my mindset wasn't necessarily thrust into a positive, happy-go-lucky state, but it was merely redirected to somewhere better. And once you can find evidence of that in the environment around you, it's the perfect catalyst to start snowballing towards something better. And you may call these imperfections in the moment, but remember, just like how I have to remember and how the most patient monk in the world has to remember, they're not imperfections. That's the good stuff.
Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Get Lost so you can find your way home. I hope this episode leaves you better than it found you, and if you'd like help in redirecting your focus and finding the more positive things of life, feel free to reach out at mklotprohobbyist on Instagram, and I'd love to help in any way I can. Thank you as always, and until next time, here's to finding your way.